0: Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parashah Bo, <clears throat> and uh, in this parasha we, uh, we experience the last three plagues that are inflicted upon the Egyptian people before the Jewish people are allowed to leave Egypt. And um, there's an incredible uh, siha, which is, has been adapted by Rabbi Eli Tauger, that explains the. Um, we were talking last week about the character of Pharaoh, and this, 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 this has still keeps explaining this character of this evil person, and how Moshe Rabbeinu was able to confront him. So God placed the world within man's heart. This is in um, Ecclesiastes, in the prophecies of Ecclesiastes, and the mission of mankind to transform the world into a dwelling for God mirrors the challenges confronted by every individual in cultivating the godly nature of his own character. So life, life really is a mirror of you. Everything you experience in life is is just showing you where you are and how you behave and how you think and how it's incredible. Like nowadays that we have all this technology, Uh, My mom, she she tells me that she can't get into Instagram anymore because it becomes so addictive to her because it shows her everything she loves. Obviously, she's connected to dancing, to art, to music, to flowers. Uh, So every time she turns on the, the Instagram app, it's the only thing she sees is this beautiful um, beautiful things like music and classical music and art and dancers and, and, and symphonies all over the world. And she's mesmerized by it. So life is an algorithm. And anything that you see in life really is a connection. It's, it's showing you what, what you're connected to. So here what it's saying, the, the, the prophet, that God plays the world within man's heart, What it means is that we all have a mission in this world to transform this world, to make it a place where the godly revelation is felt. Every person has the ability to be kind, to be loving, to be righteous, to be a person with dignity. We all have that ability. And in that way, when we live a life that is really well lived, then you're bringing into the world godly revelation. So the world, whatever you're experiencing in your life, really is is a mirror of of you, it's your algorithm. So there there are two dimensions to our personal task of self-refinement. First, we must use the abilities we have been granted for a positive purpose. So Hashem already wires people with different abilities, Uh, There's people who are more artistic, there's people who are more scientific, then you have people who are good with music, good with art, good with this. Hashem showers people with abilities, infinite amount of abilities, and, and in a way, these abilities are granted to us to bring that beauty into the world. And for example, our ability to feel love should be expressed in love for God. If a person is a very loving person, he has this ability to be so loving, he should use it to show love to God. How do you show love to God? By showing love to other people. If you love the the father, you're gonna love the children and in in a way you don't judge people, you treat people kindly, you're, you're nice to people, you feel for them, you're empathetic, you're not judgmental. This is a way to show love for God. And, um, and our potential for achievement should be directed to making contributions that are lasting in nature. So we are not in this world to, to come and live and eat and sleep and, and exercise and go on vacations. And yeah, this is part of, of, of a human experience if, if you're lucky enough to have the money to go and do all these things. But, but in a certain way, the, the contributions that we have to do in our life have to be everlasting. So I heard a story of a, of a, of a, of a woman that passed away, and there was a new rabbi in the, in the, in the community. So the sons approached the rabbi to, to do the, the, the burial for their mo- mother, and he was new, he didn't know the lady, he didn't know the kids, nothing. So he says, I wanna sit down with you for an hour and I want all of you to talk to me about your mom, I wanna say something nice about her in the, in the levaya, in the, in the funeral, and uh, I wanna know her, I wanna really, if I'm gonna bury her, I wanna know who I'm burying. So he sat with the sons and they couldn't say anything about the mother. The first son couldn't say anything about the mother. The second son couldn't say anything about the fourth son. So he looked at them, he says, but there had to be one thing. Try to remember when you were a child, one thing, nothing. When you were a teenager, nothing. Now that you're an adult, something that you can say nice, kind about your mom, nothing. Suddenly one of the sons says, she used to make great empanadas. That's all he said. So the rabbi said like how sad, like he came to the funeral and he said this, this lady, he wanted to make something nice for her. He says, this lady was the best empanada baker there was. But it's a tragic story because really, do we come here to make empanadas? Do we come here to make a, a nice meal and, and that's it? Or, or our meal is gonna be something that is gonna warm our children's hearts and remember the dinners in your Shabbat dinners of the of the mother, of the grandmother, of how she nurtured them and she cooked their favorite dish and she was always doing things for them and loving them. It's, it's this is what, what, what it's saying here. So we come here with abilities, and we have to dedicate them to, to make out of them the best possible in our in our life. So the day that we're not in this world, they're everlasting in the hearts and the and the in the minds of our, our of our family members, of our friends, and people that we were able to to touch. So, but there is a challenge, which is more fundamental. Every person should ask himself, what am I living for? What is my purpose in this world? Why am I in this world? What is the whole thing with me living and breathing and being in this world? And Hasidut explains that we have two souls, and I've spoken about this in different um, in shiurim, but we have two neshamas, we have two souls, we have one soul that is uh, animal soul, it's also known as the animating soul, the instinctive soul, the soul is in the left side of our heart where the blood pumps. And it's, it's, in nature, it's an animal. It wants to eat, it's hungry, it wants to sleep, it's sleepy, it's, it's egocentric, it's only thinking about himself, it's thinking about pleasure, about having a good time. It's a, it's a soul that doesn't wanna experience pain. He runs away from pain and he runs towards pressure, pleasure. And this is the animal animating Um, instinctive soul, which is not bad. It's not a bad thing. We all need this soul because if not, we wouldn't be able to function. Uh, You wouldn't eat, you wouldn't sleep, and and that would be the end of you. It's a soul that really keeps the body moving and going, and the blood is going around the body. It's pumping the blood around the body. So it's an important soul to have, but uh, we cannot give priority to this neshama. We have to give pri- priority to the godly neshama, which the godly neshama, the godly soul is really, as the Alter Rebbe puts it, mamesh, a piece of God within you. It is a spark of God that you have within yourself. You carry God with you. This is what it is. And so this other soul, the, 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 the divine soul is actually a part of God and the only thing he wants is to serve God. He is an altruistic God. He has no agendas. If I, if I, if I, um, he doesn't tell God, like, if I keep this mitzvah, then I want this or that. No, no, no. He only serves God, leshem shamayim, for the sake of heaven. He has no agenda whatsoever. The, the only thing this soul is interested is in serving his creator, in, in serving Hashem. That's it. So our life, our day, fluctuates between one and the other. That's why we have these two voices. Go to the shiur, go to the shiur, stop for one second, listen to Margie, uh, the parasha of the week. This is your godly shama. This is what takes you to learn Torah. This is what makes you pray. This is what takes you to be uh, generous when they're asking for money, for tzedakah. This is your, uh, your godly shama and 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 in life we have to really not neglect this this part of us because when when a person is all body and it's only thinking about the bodily needs then this this soul gets um gets an ang- angst let's call it it gets like a in a state of anxiety where it needs to be also seen and When you feel certain things like anxiety or sadness, all this, this is your godly Nishama screaming at you. Hi, I'm here, I also exist. Please look at me, take care of me. I know you go to the gym for two hours, it's so important to look good, but also I need also nourishment, I also need exercise. I need to pray, I need to learn, I need to, to be active in a community, I need to be doing things that are kind and good for humanity. This, we need to listen to this soul. So the appearance of conflict between these two souls reflects the challenge which man faces to break through his self-concern and reveal his godly core. So this is part of, of, of our existence, of why we're here, why we're put into challenging situations all the time. We have to confront so many challenges in our lives that, um, Sometimes you get tired, you say, okay, this is enough Hashem, that's enough, enough. I, I don't wanna deal with more challenges. But in reality, the challenges are actually hidden opportunities for you to really tap into this neshama and really bring out that, that, that divine spark that you have within you. If, if you wouldn't be challenging life, you would just like be like la vida loca, let's have fun. But when you're challenged, that's when you break through and that godly spark comes out, which we have seen in the last three months in, in the Jewish world, how Jewish people suddenly, they're all wearing their David's, and they're proud Jews and they're putting their mezuzahs and they're not hiding and they're, because we have been challenged our identity has been challenged and it's a time where people are, okay, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm a proud Jew, I wanna look Jewish, I wanna be Jewish. And so this is, these are times that are very chaotic and very scary, but the only way out is to break through the egocentrism of, of the world, of ourselves, and just tap into that divine, divine force that we have within ourselves. So these same trusts, tru- the these same thrusts are reflected within the world at large and one of mankind's mission is to use the physical world for a positive purpose. Every element of being, con- being of our being contains parts of godliness, like everything in the world has divine energy. It has divine energy. Even a rock has divine energy. Something inanimate has divine energy and The the, the part of the material world that we are encountering, everything that is yours, like all your possessions, things that you buy, eh, food you eat, all these things really have eh, energy, godly energy invested in them. And the the, the job of a Jew is to come and elevate them and, and bring out those godly sparks. So for example, if you're gonna eat a meal, uh, food, food can be elevated or it can be, uh, it can be degraded. Uh, if you eat with the right intention, you eat because you need to have, to be healthy, to have energy, to learn Torah, to, to serve God, and you have this intention, this kavana, when you're gonna eat and you see that the food is kosher and you do the, the respective blessing, Brahma before you're gonna eat and you're thanking God for what you ate you're gonna eat and then you would say an after blessing thanking God for this nourishment that he gives you. Then this food, which is a material aspect of the world, the, the godly sparks that are contained in this food are able to be released and go up to heaven. And so there is however a second more general goal to nurture selflessness. And that is for worldly existence and encourages self-centeredness And man's task is to break through this barrier and reveal the inner truth. So there's two ways to live in in this world. There's no other way, this is two ways. One is a selfish existence where you are self-centered and everything revolves around you. And the other option is to be not self-centered, to be not selfish, the contrary, be selfless, nullify yourself and 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 give yourself to god and live a godly existence there's no in between either you're on one side or you're on the other and sometimes in a day you can fluctuate between one and the other you can see it like you ask when when something happens to you and you go okay who's talking here who's talking here my godly soul or my 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 animal soul so whenever you say i think i believe me I, 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 that's your animal. But if you, your way of expressing is, okay, what do you need? How can I help you? What does God want from me at this moment? Then it's God talking to you. It's, it's your Godly soul talking to you. So either either one, you're on one side or on the other, but there's no middle, middle ground here. So the words breakthrough are used intentionally for with regard to self concern, to borrow a Talmudic phrase, its destruction is its purification. So, this is from the Talmud, in Talmud, in Kalim 2 1, it says that its destruction is its purification. So, whenever you're going through hardship, through pain, through sorrow, through a hard moment in life, this is a moment where all your everything that surrounds you just gets shattered, like it's never gonna be the same. It's like what the world as you know it is not there anymore. And when this happens, this shattering, this destruction of your world, of your inner world, really opens up to purification, to purify yourself, and our desires can be redirected and given a positive, positive orientation But first, the fundamental selfishness, which characterizes worldly existence, must be broken. So we have to get rid of that selfishness. In the Tanya, the alter Rebbe talks a lot about the circumcision of the heart, that the heart needs to be circumcised. And and, and that's what it means. It means that you have to like shatter it, get rid of the selfishness. And he gives a beautiful analogy of, um, of when you're gonna turn on a chimney, for example, uh, and you are you have a block of, of, uh, of wood, and you try to light it up, and it's not gonna light up. A whole thing of wood, it's not gonna light up. So you have to shatter the wood in little pieces so they can catch fire. So the same way the the, the heart can become so coarse, so hard like a rock, that nothing can penetrate. So sometimes you need to crush your heart. You need to feel the pain, you need to go through certain things in life that are gonna crush your heart so you can really become self- selfless. Selfless and not selfish. Is to get rid of the selfishness. So what is this that I'm talking about all connected to this parasha, the parasha of Bo, and it's very much connected to the whole purpose of these plagues being imposed into, the, um, into Egypt, into Mizraim and the Egyptians. They were very self-centered people, very selfish. It was a very debased um, society, very corrupt and very decadent. And, uh, and part of these plagues was really to crush them. It was to really bring them to their knees and to really recognize that they're nothing they're nothing they thought they were gods this pharaoh he thought he was a god and and suddenly Hashem shows him like you're nobody you're like really you're a puppet in my hand you're my tool you're my puppet so Egypt Mitzrayim in Hebrew which we're gonna be reading about Mitzrayim for a long time now till Pesach you're gonna and the Haggadah Pesach is always Mitzrayim it's Egypt Egypt, Mitzrayim in Hebrew, means constriction. It means boundaries, constriction, like something that doesn't allow you to be you. And it serves as an analogy for material existence as a whole. As such, both motives mentioned above are reflected in the story of the Exodus. The miracles God brought into Egypt had two, purposes for the Jewish people. There were two purposes for the Egyptians and two purposes for the Jewish people. So for the Egyptians, one was to, 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 to first give them the opportunity, you would think it, Hashem was punishing them, which he was, but this punishment really was an opportunity for them to do teshuva and to, and to correct their ways, which they didn't, they lost the boat And the second was that they should recognize that there's only one God, that there's only one, that everything is God, that there's nothing else but Hashem, and to to, to really be be fearful of him. And then for the Jewish people, the two reasons, the two purposes for uh, these plagues, one was that Pharaoh should release the Jewish people, that Hashem made it so hard for Pharaoh, that it came to a point where he would say okay I can't stand this anymore just leave me go go leave this place and and that when they depart they would ask every man of his or his friend and every woman for her neighbor gold and silver articles in this way they would drain Egypt of their wealth and this reflects the Jews effort to refine the sparks of holiness concealed within Egypt allowing these resources to find positive expression so what does this mean? So let's go back to the parasha where, where Abraham uh, gets circumcised and he, he, God tells him, let's go out and look at the stars and look at the, your children, your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars and the dust in the, in the ground. And they're gonna become slaves in Egypt it was a prophecy since Abraham it was decreed that the Jewish people would become slaves in Egypt and he said to Abraham that they would be they would leave Egypt with gold and silver they would come out of Egypt very rich so it was a prophecy also all this richness that the Egyptians had was really their richness because when they enslaved them, they took away all their, their their things, all their gold and all their silver, they stole it from them. And so eventually they took what was theirs. But what in a Kabbalistic way of looking at this, what we're seeing here is that this materiality, this uh, silver and gold, were supposed to be elevated, they were not elevated and actually this gold and this silver that they took with them, this is what they used to build the the Mishkan in the desert and later on the the Beit HaMikdash. So there's, there's sparks of holiness all over the world. All the material world has sparks of godliness. Everything can become holy. There's only three things that can become holy which is, um, which is uh, adultery, uh, idol worship, and murder. And uh, also like, for example, uh, non-kosher animals, you can never make them holy. Like uh, a pig, you, you cannot shahita, do shohet, ask the shohet to do shahita on the pig as the Jewish way and, and do it the right way and then eat the pig. It's never gonna be holy, it's not gonna happen. So there's things in the world that cannot be elevated and the reason that they're here is so you can say no to them. That's the purpose. It's so you can say no So for, so for you to have free choice. The only way that you can have free choice is, is there's things in this world that you can use and things you can't use. So this is uh, the whole thing about this um, refinement of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the material wealth of Egypt. And the second reason was that that you will be able to tell your children and grandchildren how I have made sports from Egypt, performing miraculous signs there. So it's for the rest of the generations till today. We sit in a seder every year. We do a seder for Pesach, two nights. We eat matzah for eight days. We have four cups of wine. It's a night, a long night, where we're recounting the the story of Egypt and we're recounting all these miracles and we're telling the children how God took us out of Egypt and how he did these miracles for us. And this is how the Jewish nation really has survived. It's through this this reminder that God is always there for us maybe sometimes we don't we don't we feel he left us he forgot about us but in reality it's a reminder for us for our children grandchildren great-grandchildren whoever comes after that it's a reminder that Hashem does miracles in this world and Pharaoh is identified with a stubborn boast when Moshe came to him and said, let my people go. Let my people go. Who says to let my people go? And he says, God, Hashem. And he says, who is he? I will be who I will be. Who is he? I don't know God. I don't know God. And he said, the river is mine and I have fashioned it. He, had, he was such an arrogant person. He even thought he had created the, the Nile River. Okay, he was such an arrogant person. So denying God's influence in our world, the fundamental purpose of the plagues was to shatter this illusion, to manifest godliness so that all could see, and in doing so, to break the pride of Pharaoh and his nation. And God persisted in, in this endeavor until Pharaoh's pride was crushed, and he came in his night clothes, came in his pajamas to Moshe and he came to him and he entreated to him personally, please leave, get out of here, go out, I can't have you more. And why didn't he do it before? Why did he have to wait till the firstborns of the Egyptians were, were, died? Why, till the end, to the last plague? Why? It was because Hashem hardened his heart. Hashem made him more stubborn. And that's the thing, when a person is arrogant, is full of pride, is full of selfishness, of stut, of foolishness, what happens? Every time he becomes more and more and more and more. And more. That's the problem with arrogance. Uh, arrogance makes you like a rock. And then to get rid of that, it really takes a lot. So why was this necessary? Had Pharaoh released the Jewish people earlier, he and his nation would not have been um, uh, sufficiently humbled. They wouldn't have come to their knees. And the refinement of the godliness concealed within Egypt would have been accomplished. But some of the power which opposed God would have remained intact. So they, they had to finish the job. They had to finish the job and things in life don't happen in one day. We have to be patient. They had to finish the job. So Bo, which is the name of the parasha, the, the most common meaning of this, par- the, of this word Bo means come. When Hashem said Bo, Bo Moshe to Pharaoh, he, he said to him, go to Pharaoh. But really the meaning of the word doesn't say go to Pharaoh. He's not sending him to Pharaoh. What he's saying is, I'm going with you. Come, come to Pharaoh. Let's go together. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm coming with you. And this was so important because for Moshe to go and confront Pharaoh, he was petrified. What is this guy going to do to me? And Hashem said to him, don't be scared. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going with you. And this is a, a, something that we have to keep in mind, that when we're going or experiencing hardship, scary times in our lives, don't think you're alone. Don't ever think you're alone because Hashem is with you. He's right there with you, helping you, pushing you, uh, opening the way for you. When you hold his hand and you know he's there, the, 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 the sea parts for you. So the command to confront Pharaoh and negate his influence is given to Moshe representative of mankind because the negation of selfishness is a fundamental dimension of man's service. This is part of, 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 our, of, of our life's job in this world is to get rid of the selfishness. And, and you know what, it's, it, it's sad to see that the generation that we have now, the younger people in America especially, the most selfish generation ever. Nobody does anything for anybody So man was given the mission of mankind, making this world a dwelling for God. And this is possible only when selfishness is nullified. You cannot make a dwelling place for Hashem when you're so full of yourself. Because when you're so full of you, there's no space for God. And and the question is, where is God? Where is God? God is where you let him in. That's where God is. He's everywhere, but if you don't let him in, he can't come. So, and yet the nullification of self cannot be accomplished by man alone. And this is very important to understand. It requires God's power. You cannot do it by yourself. You need Hashem to help you. And for this reason, Moshe shrank at God's commands. He realized that the task was beyond him. And this is why God instructed him, come to Pharaoh, come with me, go to Pharaoh. So I wanna wish you a blessed week. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.